How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS-dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Hello, EMS World listeners. This is John Bassett, Editorial Director at EMS World, and welcome to another EMS World podcast. It is now late March 2020, which puts us right in the middle of the biggest healthcare crisis, certainly in the last generation or so, and some are saying possibly ever in our nation's history. So EMS World is doing our best to keep up with all the stories coming our way in light of this coronavirus pandemic. Um, We're getting stories from the inspirational to the educational and sometimes, unfortunately, the tragic. So we continue uh, to be very uh, honored to share your stories and to be really the definitive source of information as it develops and also being the, uh, the gathering place for EMS professionals to learn best practices and to su- support each other in this time of, uh, of great crisis. So thank you for sending those stories our way. With regard to these bi-monthly podcasts, we use them to highlight important stories as they break and also to dive a little bit more deeply into an article that you will find in our print publication. This month is no different. So I will encourage uh, everyone listening, if you do not receive EMS World in print uh, or in any of our newsletters and you'd like to do so, it's, uh, it's free to sign up. As long as you're a credentialed EMS cl- uh, clinician, you can get the print publication sent to, uh, sent to you wherever you are. So please feel free to sign up at emsworld.com slash subscribe. You can use that portal to sign up for either our print publication or any one of our many uh, e-newsletters and uh, digital products that we have going out. This month, our cover story takes us to Charlotte, North Carolina. We profiled Mecklenburg EMS Agency, also known as Medic. Medic operates the busiest agency in North Carolina out of its headquarters in Charlotte. The subject of this month's cover story is a um, a big initiative that they launched in 2016, and that was to redesign the entire fleet of the agency's ALS ambulances, and that included moving to an entirely new chassis design. So they had specific goals for that rebuild. They had an eye on improved vehicle reliability, employee satisfaction patient comfort, uh, as well as uh, cost savings. This is obviously no small feat. Anytime you overhaul the fleet of a, of a large service like Medic, there, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of decisions and a lot of input from different departments. So what really made this initiative noteworthy and what made EMS World want to profile the story was the emphasis that they placed on crew input in all the decisions. So the the field providers that were 
going to be using these vehicles were really the ones driving the decisions as they were made along the way. So the redesign team brought in employees from all different departments, field operations, quality improvement, logistics, and also uh, fleet operations. So they, uh, from the bottom up, they included the, the frontline providers and they really gave employees a clear voice in the, in the final uh, product and, and all the, the features that went into it, which was, uh, which was very impressive. With regard to the actual vehicle build, the team started by bringing in several different chassis designs from, from a range of manufacturers for the field crews to test drive. They ultimately decided on a chassis design from Dodge, the Dodge 5500, and they went with that based on impressive features that they wanted, ergonomics, comfort, drivability, ease of maintenance, acceleration, braking, basically the, the way that the the vehicle handled the way that they could access different features on on that design. That's that's really what drove the decision to to go with the Dodge fifty five hundred as a chassis. Once that design was decided on, they brought in focus groups to gather feedback on the supplies that field crews most often accessed while transporting a patient. One interesting step that was a, a key component of this story and something that we really wanted to focus on in this cover story was that the project team built an actual scale model of the patient compartment. They built it out of heavy-duty corrugated cardboard, and that really let crews work inside a prototype of the patient compartment. They could simulate calls. They could work with a with a patient and and access different supplies and and the redesign team collected crew reactions and thoughts about where the supplies should be placed and how often different medications and uh, and equipment was was accessed so that that went into their decisions on where to uh, where to place supplies in the patient compartment other features that led to uh, decisions were uh, a comfortable vehicle suspension that allowed a nice quiet ride for providers and patients. Also, they they really liked a touchscreen that was mounted at eye level. Also, um, upgraded wall insulations for a quieter ride. So, these were the kind of things that that crews really gave valuable insight on as they went to to design the vehicle compartment and also the uh, the driver compartment. Uh, safety was another big component as as Medic built these custom ambulances. So from a safety perspective, the design included several changes. They repositioned all the cabinets and equipment to reduce the risk of providers striking their heads while in transport. Uh, an improved mounting solution secured the stretcher to the floor. They also they really wanted to emphasize a six-point retractable safety harness for for caregivers in the attendance chair. Lighting was was a, another big emphasis. LED lighting throughout the vehicle improved stability when working with patients and when accessing equipment. Uh, equipment monitors are fastened with uh, with you know modern, updated, secure brackets to meet crash standards. So safety was a big 
a big emphasis on this ambulance redesign. As far as building the actual final vehicle, Medic worked with a company called American Emergency Vehicles. They're in West Jefferson, North Carolina. The, the company built two vehicles and they were placed into the system and tested for 90 days. And then the field crews were allowed to deliver feedback before the design, the final design was was decided upon and before additional units were ordered. So both of those trucks were modified with the revisions and returned to, to full-time duty after this design was finalized. Cost savings was another uh, thing that, that Medic was interested in. So after, after looking at the, the cost per truck, the operational cost per truck, uh, after an average of about 130,000 miles were traveled, the Dodge's cost per mile was uh, 86 cents per mile, which was a savings of about 82,000 less per vehicle to operate over their predicted seven-year lifespan compared to the previous vehicles in Medic's fleet. So if you factor that across all 72 ambulances that Medic operates, the predicted savings was uh, almost $6 million for for one full replacement cycle of the vehicles. So very, very substantial cost savings on this new fleet. Another feature that we discuss in the cover story relates to fuel efficiency, and that obviously connects to the cost savings as well. So this is Definitely something that agencies, both big and small, are always interested in improving. So Medic uh, assembled a separate project team that was aimed specifically at reducing ambulance idle time, which obviously is a big cause of, of wasted fuel and money. So Medic decided to go with an idle reduction system from a company called Zero RPM. Zero RPM is actually a winner of the EMS World Innovation Award. So this is something that it's a system that uses high capacity batteries to power the critical functions of functions of an ambulance while the engine is off. So air conditioning, heat, electric windows, lighting and vital patient equipment and monitor, monitoring are all uh, still powered up even though the ambulance's engine is off. So that translated to um, a major cost savings for Medic. It was tested for six months on just one ambulance, and that data demonstrated a significant reduction in emissions and also a 20% reduction in fuel consumption. So that translated to double the average miles traveled per engine hour of operation, so very significant. These are the highlights and the lessons learned in our cover story. Uh, This podcast also includes an interview with two of the deputy directors at Medic who speak more in depth about this uh, ambulance redesign project, and they put it in the context uh, of the, the current coronavirus crisis that we are confronting. So EMS World was very pleased to work with Medic on this cover story to talk about this bottom-up approach to 
redesigning vehicles. Uh, again, I encourage our readers to visit emsworld.com, click on the magazine tab and look for our April 2020 issue. Or depending on when you read this, you can also just use the search function and look for Mecklenburg EMS using our search function on emsworld.com. And then you can read more about this impressive ambulance redesign project. And uh, again, we thank Medic for letting us through the doors and behind the scenes at this major project and, uh, and to talk a little bit about how it's keeping patients safe and providers happy and productive. I'm joined today by Jonathan Studneck and Jeff Keith. Jonathan and Jeff are deputy directors for Mecklenburg EMS Agency in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I want to thank uh, both of you gentlemen for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us on. This is John. Yeah, thanks a lot, John. We appreciate it. Okay, thank you both. I know this is a very busy time for uh, for both of you and for EMS services across uh, across the country. So we appreciate you spending a little time with us today. EMS World wanted to speak with uh, with John and Jeff on the heels of a new cover story that's coming out. And everyone who is a subscriber or a fan of EMS World can see that cover story coming out in our April issue. And it's on the recent ambulance redesign initiative that um, Mecklenburg, uh, also known as Medic, underwent. And I would encourage our readers to check out that cover story. Again, you can find that in our April 2020 issue. You can find that at www.emsworld.com. And it will either be the top story there when you hear this, or you can also click on the magazine tab and just uh, search for April 2020 if you're hearing this down the line in the future. The cover story describes, uh, like I said, a recent ambulance redesign project that Medic underwent. Uh, you can check that out for some background on the article and, and the conversation that we're having today. So again, John and Jeff, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I did want to start off with uh, just some some basic introductions. If you could give us um, each uh, like a, a kind of a high level intro uh, of the operations at Medic, a little bit about your jurisdiction, number of calls, that type of thing, and then maybe a little bit about what your specific roles and responsibilities are in your day-to-day jobs. Sure, John, why don't you go ahead and get us started? My role is in uh, operations. I'm responsible for the operations of the organizations as it's related to 911 response uh, and the operations of our communication center. Uh, We have about 400 or full-time and part-time certified EMTs and paramedics uh, here at Medic. We have another 40 telecommunicators that run our call center. Uh, Mecklenburg County, uh, is inclusive of uh, the city of Charlotte and a couple other towns uh, in unincorporated area. It's about 530 square miles. Uh, we transport probably somewhere around 117,000 patients, uh, we'd predict this year, uh, and answer the phone on the comm center somewhere around 165, 170,000 times. We do 911 dispatch for all medical calls in Mecklenburg County. Uh, and we do fire dispatch for the unincorporated parts of Mecklenburg County and the towns. Uh, we don't do fire dispatch for the city of Charlotte. They handle that on their own. Uh, and so that's, uh, you know, kind of the scope uh, of the organization. I'll let Jeff talk about his role specifically. Sure. So I'm responsible for support services. Uh, John and his team are really our biggest clients. Uh, but we also have responsibilities for public relations 
We've got an on-site IT staff that's responsible for taking care of that 911 dispatch center John mentioned, uh, as well as making sure that all the connectivity, the networks, the security, uh, the ability to communicate with our ambulances, our tablets, our patient care reporting software, making sure all of that runs and, and doesn't get in the way of our ability to do our jobs. Uh, we also have a fleet department here on site. Uh, we've got 10 bays. We've got six mechanics. They're all master mechanics. They're here working six days a week, seven if necessary, making sure that our fleet of well over 100 vehicles, of which 72 are ambulances, uh, are in tip-top shape and able to do the job and meet the demand that we have here in our system each and every day. Uh, and last but certainly not least is our logistics department, which includes our warehouse purchasing, uh, and they're responsible for producing those ambulances every day, making sure that they're stocked, restocked, uh, making sure that we're doing our best to keep our equipment levels at the right level, not putting things on the truck we shouldn't, you know, rotating expired uh, medications or equipment, you know, things that need to come off. Uh, they're really the lifeblood, if you ask me, of, of what helps make sure that we produce the resources we need to every day without putting an undue burden on the caregivers, because frankly, they're doing enough in the system every day. Quite uh, the operation you have going there, certainly. And um, you mentioned the, you mentioned the fleet. And you, uh, you, did you mention uh, you said seventy-two ambulances currently? That's correct. Sixty-four dedicated to advanced life support, and we have eight that handle uh, non-emergency transports or basic life support uh, needs. As I mentioned, the cover story coming out in April sort of talks about the recent um, redesign and, and rebuild project. Can you give our listeners a little background on that? Uh, what what was the thought process behind it? And uh, it, it was very interesting to me how you really elicited crew feedback. And I, I thought that was um, was particularly interesting to me. And I, I was wondering if you could sort of talk through uh the origins of that project and kind of how it went through for our listeners. Sure. I'm going to touch on it a little bit from my lens, and then I'd like to throw it to John, because as my customer and, and a crew, uh, John's a practicing paramedic as well. Uh, I think his insights would be useful. From our side, you know, we had a couple of things driving it. One, we had a vehicle chassis that we weren't thrilled with. Uh, we felt it was inexpensive. We didn't think it was comfortable. We didn't think it was our best choice from a reliability perspective. Uh, and at the same time, we had re been remounting our boxes. Uh, we had gone through our second remount cycle with uh, the patient care module. And frankly, we wanted to meet uh, the CAS safety standards uh, that were just being published. And we wanted to do something that had a design that was more in line with the needs of our patients, our caregivers, in addition to that safety component. It had been a while since we had done uh, an assessment of the needs in the patient care module. So we figured if we weren't going to remount again, because it wasn't going to happen, why not take that opportunity to start from scratch and build something that was safer and met the needs of the patient and the caregiver in a better way. And if we were able to do that while saving some money as well, well, that was definitely worth it. And that was what we sat down and tried to do. And, and frankly, I'm proud of the group that did it because they knocked it out of the park. From an operations perspective, I'd really like to hit on a couple of things that were really great about this process. So many times we make changes in EMS uh, and the field finds out about the change when they go look for something and it looks different uh, or it's not there uh, or they get a memo and, and they tell you you're going to change something. And that wasn't the process that we used here. It's not the process we endorsed at Medic for any change. And specifically with vehicles, I think one of the key things in this 
uh, build was the amount of input that was sought from care providers. Uh, we had opportunities very early in the process to bring in a whole bunch of different chassis from a bunch of different manufacturers, do some test driving, you know, with or without a box on it, get into the cabs, look at what the compartments were going to be like. And, you know, we have a system status management plan that we work here in Mecklenburg County. So our folks spend a lot of time in the front of that truck. So finding the right chassis was really important. We had great dialogue uh, with the fleet department and our caregivers on, you know, what, what we're really looking for in a chassis. Uh, after we selected the chassis, the build out of the box itself, I think really took on a unique process. We had a group of people in our quality department that did a good amount of research looking at safety standards and different designs. And then uh, they built uh, an ambulance out of cardboard, some high density cardboard, and they brought field providers into the bay where we had the cardboard ambulance and had them sit in it. Uh, we had a chair in there, we had a stretcher in there, we built fake bins. Uh, and through that kind of iterative design process, paramedics and EMTs were able to move drawers and move cabinetry and, and really set up a space that worked uh, with their flow. That type of work takes a lot of effort and takes a lot of energy, but pays a lot of dividends in the end from a buy-in perspective. Because even though you can't do everything for every employee, you at least know that employee voices were heard. Uh, they, they had a piece and a role in that design. And in the end, I think it develops a really good product. That's certainly something that I hadn't heard before that, you know, actually building building a, a scale model and, and, and sort of practicing with with all the configurations and, and the layout. So that was certainly interesting. Do you have any, um, I guess, uh, lessons or words of advice maybe for other uh, agencies that are investigating the, the thought of of redoing their their fleet and their their vehicles, any any things that you learned along the way, or words of advice? You know, I think what John touched upon is probably the most important thing I, I could recommend for folks, and that's how do you create a process that's inclusive of the input of the people you're going to impact with your ultimate output. Like John said, these folks spend 10, 13 hours a day in these cabs. They spend four or five hours a day in the back of the module, and they're trying to stay safe and take care of a patient. They need to be comfortable and have access to the tools, and they know what they need. And if you create a good process and give them that ability to contribute to it, one, you're going to get something that hits the mark, and two, they're going to be very happy and proud of their contribution to that final product, and it really can cure a lot of ailments when things aren't perfect because there is no such thing as perfect for everybody. But boy, people understand how you got there and they respect it and they're more likely to get on board and you're going to end up with a happier group of employees and a better overall product. I know that you uh, implemented some some cost saving measures. Uh, the, the story talks about idle reduction uh, technology. Have you guys uh, started realizing any cost savings yet? Is it too early to tell or is, or is that uh, something that you're tracking? Oh, we're definitely tracking it. Uh, and it is too early uh, to tell long term what it's it's going to really materialize to be. But to be clear, the, the idle reduction technology is something that we have only recently invested in. You know, we've already got 34 or so Dodges in our system. Uh, we've been rolling them out, the Dodge being the new vehicle uh, that we designed. Uh, but we just recently this year got into the idle reduction technology to see one for the environment, 
but also too for the cost savings and the lifespan of the truck itself. Uh, we idle a tremendous amount. That's not healthy. It's not good for the engine. Truck with 300,000 miles on it, when we retire it, it's got 500,000 miles worth of engine hours on it. So you're really beating on the, the lifespan of the truck in addition to the other problems with idling. So yeah, we are and have been testing a product and it shows tremendous promise. We were fortunate to uh, apply for and get awarded a grant. Uh, it was a $400,000 grant that we had a match with $100,000. Uh, and that is putting 23 of these idle reduction tools inside of our vehicle. And we see a reduction of about 70% of our idle time based on the early testing that we did prior to making a commitment to buying this product. And that's very encouraging. It'll save us some money. We think we can extend the lifespan of our chassis, though that has to play out. We have to understand what we're going to learn as we get past 300,000 miles, because that's new ground for us. Uh, but it's also going to save us fuel. We think about a 20% fuel saving annually uh, is something that we're going to achieve. And that's sizable, considering we spend a million dollars a year on fuel. All right. I want to shift gears slightly. Uh, depending on when listeners are hearing this, we are in the midst of a, of a crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is uh, full force here in late March 2020. And I would be remiss if I didn't spend a little bit of time uh, with you today talking about what's going on in your neck of the woods and kind of bringing our listeners into the response where you are. So I guess as kind of a segue, we can keep it with the, the vehicle theme for a second. I do know that in, this, in the uh, cover story, you mentioned uh, a new facility that you recently uh, moved into that has automatic car wash actually built into that facility. And there's so much talk now of disinfecting practices and, and um, washing down equipment after a shift. Is there a benefit that you're seeing in, uh, in your new facility and the, the cleaning uh, system that you, that you installed? Is that uh, something that's particularly helpful now in light of uh, what we're dealing with with coronavirus? The car wash itself is a great feature for our employees. It gets them a, a return to home uh, quicker. They don't have to do, uh, uh, you know, that vigorous scrub with brushes and wands that they used to. Uh, as far as, you know, fighting off uh, a coronavirus, uh, really it's an interior of the, the truck kind of issue. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're following the guidance that the CDC has out for that using uh, either sanitary wipes that have alcohol in them or um, one to 10 bleach solution uh, to make sure that the back of the, the ambulance after potential positive patients uh, are as clean as possible. Um, I think that the convenience factor uh, of having uh, the ability to run the car or run the truck through a wash is really nice. And in the end for coronavirus, uh, the best methodology for trying to make sure your workspace is clean is using using that bleach bleach solution. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the Charlotte area. Uh, any any uh, major, I guess, trends in, in call volume or particular staffing challenges challenges that you guys are dealing with? Uh, has it has it had a a great impact on on your jurisdiction at this point? Well, as of today, which is March 26, uh, the last report I had from Public Health, which was on a policy group call this morning. We had 202 uh, cases of coronavirus in Mecklenburg County. Uh, that's a 33% increase uh, over the day before. We see a, a doubling time of every three days in Charlotte right now. 
uh, we are in uh, a better shape uh, than some of the communities in the U.S., specifically New York, uh, New Orleans, Washington, Seattle area. Uh, we probably got a two-week uh, lag time on them, which we're using uh, right now to get all of our plans uh, executed uh, and in place so that when the peak of this epidemic really starts to come on us in a couple of weeks and throughout whatever the estimated 45 to 60 day period to peak is going to be that we're ready. Uh, we have a stay in place order for all of Mecklenburg County that was just executed uh, today uh, at 8 a.m. Uh, and so traffic's pretty light. Though there are more people, I'm looking out my window right now, there's more people on the road than I would prefer. Schools have been closed for a week and a half. Uh, and the impact on that has actually been our call volume is down. We're down about 30 to 40 trips a day from what we normally see in the middle of a week uh, in March. And I think that has a lot to do with uh, a Monday through Friday looking more like Saturday and Sunday with kids out of school and now that stay in place order. Uh, and that puts us in a great position because our folks get an opportunity to take a breath here uh, before we really see uh, the infection rate in our community uh, rise. And so we're going to take that time, run a little lower volume, make sure our folks are rested. And, and the unfortunate fact is we know that the healthcare system in our community, just like every other community in the U.S., is going to be stressed. We're, we're in that patient waiting phase and planning phase. So the, uh, as far as hospital capacity right now, things things are not uh, too bad. You 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 have the the bed space available, and there's there's no major, I guess, equipment uh, shortages at this point in your area. The hospitals really took the last two weeks to lower their inpatient census, and they've done a great job on that. On the report this morning, uh, we had 19 patients admitted, and it was a 42 percent ICU admission. So that's pretty high. Um, it's not causing a concern now, but as the weeks progress. I sure hope to see that ICU admission percentage drop. Otherwise, we're going to have issues just like the rest of the states. Uh, and the best way we can prevent that is by having people stay inside and social distance. Okay. Well, I'm going to uh, start wrapping up here, Jeff and John. Any uh, any closing remarks, uh, maybe some next steps for uh, for Medic, either in, in light of uh, what's going on now or also with the, the fleet operations? Um, any initiatives that you're that you're um, keeping your eye on or, uh, or things that, that I didn't touch on? You know, from the fleet perspective, we're honestly just trying to continue turning over the remainder of our, our ambulances to get to all the Dodges, uh, the, the existing chassis we have, we've gone through our trials with. Uh, so we're, we'll be happy to see those out of the system, we think, by the end of 2021. Uh, so that'll be a nice thing to see. Uh, and then to continue, you know, installing the, uh, the idle reduction technology and see the impact it has on our fleet as a whole. Uh, we're just excited to do that learning and, and see if we can extend the life of these vehicles and, and, of course, benefit from some financial savings on our capital budget each year. Because as you know, it doesn't get any less expensive to, uh, to provide EMS services. So when you can do something better and save a little money at the same time, that's a real win-win. And that's, that's where that part of our business is heading. Fantastic. And just for us to wrap up on the, the coronavirus, you know, it's going to be an interesting time for all of EMS in the next uh, month to four months. 
You know, I don't know what time you're going to listen to this podcast, but hopefully you're out there being safe, taking precautions, taking care of each other and uh, doing the best you can for your patients. That's what we're going to do here in Mecklenburg County. And I'm sure there's a lot of EMS agencies out there that are going to do the same for their folks. So stay safe, stay well, and we'll talk to you all soon. Absolutely. And Jeff and John, thank you so much again. Um, I certainly appreciate your time. I know this um, this this is just a it's an unprecedented time for for healthcare and also uh, I mean especially especially EMS. So we're learning a lot and there's a lot happening minute to minute. Again, thank you so much for shedding some light on what's going on in, in your neck of the woods. And I hope you both stay safe and healthy as well as uh, the whole operation there, and uh, we will certainly be in touch. Uh, in touch with you guys, keep us updated on on anything happening there. And uh, thanks again for joining us today. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of EMSWorld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.